Hello, and welcome to episode 6 of The Podding Shed, the podcast of the ChelseaFCblog.com. Firstly, we would like to wish our esteemed football club a happy 107th birthday for yesterday. 107 years, it's a long time. It's also coincidentally how much the residents of the Podding Shed have aged watching Chelsea FC over the last couple of months. <laughs> Joining me, Johnny, Der Kaiser, are Grocer Jack, Tony, Mark25, Mark, and Dr. Blue Bayou, who is Donal, to talk about the week's events and starting with the Stoke game. Not the most interesting of games, I think we'll probably all agree, but three points, and Roberto Di Matteo's second win on the bounce um, with two clean sheets. Um, Drogba's 100th Premiership goal, um, a great 107th birthday present, and um, in the in the grander picture of things with Liverpool, Spurs and City losing, possibly something to be a little hopeful about. Tony, you were there, as I think we all were, yeah. Your thoughts on the game, please. It was, um, as you've, you've alluded to, it wasn't the greatest of games. There was a couple of purple patches, I think. There were some key points of interest uh, in the game. One, um, as I think we've, we, we sort of mentioned, was the lack of any real ambition from Stoke, who um, who seemed to be applying, you know, or pushing the boundaries of time-wasting right from the very first minute. Oh, they were exceptional yesterday, weren't they? We've seen it before. But it was incredible uh, how Begovic um, never actually got himself in the, a yellow card. I, I, I'm quite, still quite amazed at and, and, and Andre Mariner seemed, you know, uh, you know, we could see the Chelsea players, um, you know, and the, you could sense it in the crowd. You know, I mean, we, we, we all have different perceptions of time as it passes by according to how much alcohol we've we've had, I guess. But um, too much, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know, it, it really was such an obvious tactic, and it was, it, you know, that was a team order. I'm sure of that from Pulis. He's a wily old goat. I think a very much underrated coach. Um, I was surprised that Crouch was missing. I'm not quite sure what was there, what was going on there. I, I suspected that Dilap um, was injured, and um, I think I heard on the way down that he wasn't likely to be part of the. Uh, mm. Uh, Stokes group, which was good because I think with his throwing and people will criticise that as part of a long ball game. It's like having a corner. I don't really see an issue with it. If you've got it, you should use it. And, and one of my all-time Chelsea heroes was Ian Hutchinson, who just had a phenomenal That's throwing Ian on it. Had the net. windmill. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I, I'm glad that Delap wasn't there. I'm glad Kraus wasn't there. But just a few observations. Apart from the time wasting, was the um, the Ricardo Fuller. Um, uh, method of uh, stroking a man's genitals with his studs, which was uh, un- an unbelievable. I mean, Tony Pulis on Match of the Day it was, you know, you could almost see the feathers that he was spitting coming out between his teeth. Um, he's, about- he's not a man you want to annoy because there is that um, legendary story of him come steaming out of the, the showers when James Beattie had annoyed him during the game or something. I'd start naked and head-butted him, I think, was the... <laughs> really? <laughs> up to him, which is right. which probably quite a sight, I would imagine. But, okay. Yeah, no, sorry, Tony, carry no, on. No, well, no, no, because... That, I, I thought the last thing about... you see before you lose consciousness. Tony Pulis' After everything we've heard about AVB <laughs> suspect man management, um, you see, that, to <laughs> me, that's old school, that is. I, 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 I've got no problem with that sort of thing. But, um, it's he, different from the hairdryer. He, there, was, there was some menace in his post-match interview when he said about dealing with it internally and getting fuller some treatment. <laughs> you know, we, uh, you know, so to say, you could almost. I had, I had visions of um, uh, of Tony Pulis dressed as Nurse Ratchet doing a lobotomy <laughs> <laughs> at that point. You know, so it was, it was you know a, a sort of amusing moment. But they they didn't offer much, and I think. Um, you know, there wasn't any sort of standout player. But, you know, Shawcross got as good as he got. I mean, there was an irony towards the end when Huth started to complain about Chelsea wasting time. <laughs> you know, you were just sitting again, uh, hold on, pots, kettles, and that sort of thing going on. Um, but it, it it wasn't a great game. It was a, a reasonable result, and I'm still unconvinced one way or the other. Uh, you know, I've got splinters in my backside from whether or not what we did after we scored the goal was a fantastic Mourinho-esque piece of seeing a game out when you're 1-0 up against wounded opponents who are down to 10 who are likely to mug you because they're such a physical team, or the weather we were just absolutely crapping ourselves and, you know, hoofing the ball out. and You know, it was, it was such a nervous way to finish the game. Mm-hmm. Now, it, realistically, we could have won that game 5-0. Well, it was, I mean, it was, we, you know, I think we hit the woodwork 
three times, I think. Three times, three possibly, times? yeah. yeah. Um, and the other thing that the game seemed to, to sort of turn slightly in their favour, um, and a player who I've always liked, and you know, it divides Chelsea fans' opinion. Um, straight down the middle is Mikel and I thought he had an excellent game yesterday and the moment he went off and we brought Sturridge on was when it seemed to turn yeah and we just couldn't retain possession um, and you know kind of invited the pressure on ourselves uh, result, you know. I, I mentioned it on the on, on the comment to Donald's you know majestic um, <coughs> review of yesterday's game um, I, I sat it, it was a sort of game of two halves for me because I sat in my normal seat which is not far from you um, yeah John, is it? Uh, you know, uh, and, and uh, sort of along the touchline, uh, you know, where the east stand is, and you know, the, the general opinion around there is is that you know, Mikel's a good player. Mm. You know, um, you know, he's not pulling up trees, but he's not. He's in that sort of Deschamps um, water carrier kind of, of mode. Yeah, it's, I think it's he gets a lot of criticism for not releasing the ball early. Yesterday, his timing of releasing the ball and his passing, his tackling was. As good as anybody I've seen there this season. And I moved in the second half down to Chelsea Bob, mm. um, which is almost, it's a Matthew Harding upper, but, you know, almost absolutely bang smack behind the goal, you know, as, as, as central as it's probably possible to be behind the goal. And mm. they were absolutely completely opposite there. You know, the, the abuse Mikel was taking in that particular part of the ground was, yeah. was incredible. And you're thinking, oh, what are you watching? You know, I mean, for me, Kalu. I think, and I don't, don't will disagree with this, but I thought he stumped the place out yesterday with his, you know, and I wasn't in Yeah, I like him, but I don't think he had his best game yesterday. No, I, I don't um, think it was inability, but if I, if I had to, I'm no, no expert at body language, but I, my, I, he looked disinterested yesterday, Kalu. If, they, if that's him putting himself in the shop window, um, you know, that shop window's boarded up, as far as I can see. It was, it was not, he just didn't look like he cared, and, um, I thought, you know, the last 15 minutes, he certainly, his ball retention, you know, and it sort of coincided with that, that you know, that period where I think they, they they sort of lost the plot a bit, possibly because he only had really really two proper midfielders on the pitch at the time. Mm. But he seemed, he seemed to give the ball away far too much then. Yeah. I thought up until that point, you know, in terms of carrying some sort of threat... Uh, running in the channels quite well, retaining the ball quite well. You know, I thought he 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 looked interested to me, and I thought the same on on Tuesday that I was quite happy to see him back. In that, mm. I thought, well, if they can give him a bit of confidence, rebuild him back up. You know, he's he's never going to be the greatest in the world, but I, I thought he he offered something yesterday in that he was someone they could give the yeah. ball to and know he wasn't going to lose it, and he did that really well. For seventy minutes, and then or seventy-five minutes, and then for some, maybe it's lack of game time. I know he was playing in the African Nations, but in terms of Premier League, maybe he was tiring. Maybe his concentration lapsed. I don't know. Mm. But up until that point, um, or maybe they put a different player on him. I, 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 by that time, you know, I wasn't paying so much attention to the game that I'd pick up on those details. Yeah. He, he just seemed to give the ball away in, in a series of, of mistakes, which I think would colour anyone's opinion of his game yesterday. But, you know, I didn't, I, unlike you, I didn't think he was he was looking disinterested. I, I thought, you know, perhaps he got infected by the nervousness. I, I don't know. And that's, I mean, <coughs> my, my caveat there is, is I'm no expert on body language. It was just, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't the only one who seemed to be of that opinion. And, mm. and, and, but having said that, I, you know, the, he's one of those players that for me, he's never, never, he's never lit my candle as such but um, I'd take him over Malouda any day at the moment and I believe that there's probably hope for him and, and do you know what's, what's triggered that off is that Arsene Wenger seemed to be interested in him now if Arsene Wenger can see something mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty yes. much good enough for me mm. yeah so it's nice to be reminded of that great old song come on baby light my candle <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Mikel is the interesting player because certainly Tuesday night and yesterday, um, in, in previous iterations of his career, if he got beyond the the, the centre circle, you know you expected him to go wobbly and get a nosebleed. They're, because they're obviously playing more of a, a dual uh, central midfield partnership now, as it were, he's 
obviously being told to get forward, get forward and, and, and to push up towards the penalty box. And from what I understand of his early career as a, as a sort of junior player, he was an attacking midfielder That's and he did have a, an array of skills. And my, my worry about him is that he, he came to Chelsea um, and was seen as, as the young player who would take over from Makaleli. And it's almost like <coughs> they've groomed everything else out of him. Mm. And he, he now doesn't have the confidence to do perhaps what he was naturally doing when he was 17, 18 years old. And if someone could get hold of him and, and get him back to doing being a more complete player, yeah. that would be a very good thing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves Chelsea, goes somewhere, and someone does that to him. Yeah. I mean, it, it's you know, that's the thing. It should be noted that, you know, I think it would be under-18 World Cup in 2000 or, you know, 19 late 90s, early 2000s, or whatever it was, um, he was named as, as player of the tournament as um, jointly with Lionel Messi, um, which is, you know, it's, it's fairly a steam company to be in, even at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, isn't he it, isn't it developed as, a, as, a, as a, a holding midfielder by Mourinho, and I think, you know, has always done a very good job, and, you know, the thing that always stands out about it, and, you know, it's, it's lies, damn lies, and statistics to an extent, is how well he actually retains the ball and how, how little he gives it away. Yeah. Which is is one of the you know there's there's three criticisms that I always hear from from people oh bloody Mikel I can't stand it one is he gives the ball away too much well it's absolute crap yeah he doesn't you know he's one of the best retains the ball in the Premiership I think um, secondly he gets booked too booked too much and sent off too much well yes he did early on in his career but I think he had three he's had three red cards for us if you go back and look at all of them I think. Two of them are pretty unjustified. I think one was against Reading, um, which I think was for two yellows, both of which were fairly dodgy. Um, there was the, the Carling Cup final brawl at, at Cardiff with Arsenal, where I don't think he actually did a huge amount wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, I think, was at Old Trafford, which he could probably say, yeah, it was fine. But um, And the other one is he doesn't release the ball fast enough. But I thought yesterday he did perfectly well. You know, He, he, he got the ball, received it, looked up, passed it. Thank you very much. But he's playing in a team and has played in a team whose style, as, as I said in my uh, report there, who, and when they're playing well, you don't notice it so much. But as a team, we don't move the ball quickly. They, they all seem to take at least one or two touches. And playing in the position he's in, where you know he's in front of the back four most of the time, mm. he is more likely to hold on to the ball there than you would do playing a bit higher up the pitch or playing in a team where, you know, I'm sure that was one of Ancelotti's frustrations was he couldn't get the sort of tempo into the team that a player like Perlo would have done. Mm. But to expect Mikel to be Perlo, I think, is unfair on Mikel when they've wanted him to do something completely different before. I'd like to see them encouraging him to play a bit more football because I think it's in him. I think it's, it's just, you know, uh, he came in at a stage in his development where... It would have been better to concentrate on keeping him, keeping him as a more all-round midfielder. Mm. They seem they seem to have taken him down this road of you're just holding in front of the back four, you know, which I think is a waste of, of a player. It does, yeah. It's only, I don't think it's a waste as such, but I, it, it, it doesn't make enough. Well, it wastes his skills, is what I mean. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Mark, just to, to come over to you, um, you were obviously there with um, with your son and heir. Um, what did you What did you both think of the game? What did you think of the game? Well, just picking up on that point about um, speed. Actually, I thought we would move the ball around a bit quicker yesterday, but I, it could be that I'm trying to imagine that. In the, <laughs> um, I'm trying to think that Di Matteo is having some positive effect. Yeah, uh, but I generally I thought it was a little bit quicker. Um, but overall, I mean, I was happy with the win, really. But l- l- let me just say, actually, before I talk about the game. Um, that it was a pleasure to meet you all yesterday. Apart from Donald, sorry, I arrived a bit late. Yes, I could and so um, missed you. But yeah. um, no, indeed, it was it was good, and we should do it again. Yes, it's good to put faces to the voices. <coughs> and as I mentioned yesterday, you know, my wife had warned me about meeting strange men off the internet. But um, <laughs> as, as it transpired, she was wrong. No, no, she was wrong. Actually, as it transpired, it was um, very pleasant. I didn't get abducted. And, and based on yesterday's experience, I have agreed to meet a Nigerian prince tomorrow to help him move two million pounds over to the UK. So I feel, I feel quite safe beating straight. I was just saying, there's nothing wrong with the internet at all, is there? No, I think it's quite safe. It's um, 
It's a fallacy, this fact that you shouldn't meet people. Children, don't try this at home. <laughs> yes. Do we have to add a disclaimer? And um, yeah. oh, the other thing that was interesting was um, Drogba, apparently, I heard, was the first African to score yes. 100 that's, premiership that's goals. Right, yeah. Yeah. And I think it doesn't matter how many goals you score, if you attach the appropriate label to it, you can claim a record. So by adding in the, the phrase, the first African... Yeah, he, he is the first at something. And um, mm. it reminds me, years ago, actually, I went to the cinema and they did these cheap adverts and they advertised this local Indian restaurant. And they said, this is the finest Indian restaurant. And then there was a pause for about te- 10 seconds. And then they said, 100 yards from this cinema. <laughs> <laughs> so Drogba's goal-scoring record is a little bit like that. Mm. And, and although, then, although I suppose he comes in the tradition of George Weah and some of the others, you know, he's, he's I mean, uh, how many goals did Weah score in, in Serie A? Did he, I presume he scored over 100, did he? Oh, uh, in Serie A? I don't know, it's just a good point. We will I mean, I think check the wonders of Google whilst we're online. Um, sorry, Mark, carry on. Yeah, no, the only other point was um, Bobby Tambley coming on at half-time. Yeah. yeah. And, and I hadn't realised he'd been unwell, but... He, he came back, but it did seem to me that he was almost coming on to say goodbye. Oh yes, I think that's. Um, and everyone that's... around me was getting quite upset by it. That um, it was, yeah, it was quite. It, it almost felt like this was the last opportunity he felt he had mm. to be well enough to come back to Stamford Bridge and just tell everybody how much Chelsea meant to him. I, mm. I, I gather there was some surprise uh, at the fact that you know he he did actually manage to you know um, recover enough to, to leave hospital. Uh, really? Serious, I didn't know it was ill. He's not well man and, and everything. Like, I found it quite an emotional moment, I've got to say. Yeah, so did I. And, and, and uh, you know, if there's any Stoke fans that, that do tune into this, we might have criticised your team for lack of effort, but I'll tell you what, their fans absolutely did, you know, applaud along with it. They were very sporting. Mm-hmm. I think that's worth a mention. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was certainly great to see him, and yeah, it was, it was certainly a, a bit of a lump in the throat moment, without question. Um, I think uh, that probably covers Stoke. I'm pondering whether we really need to do a good, the bad, and the ugly, in the sense that um, much of it was ugly. There wasn't a great deal of good, other than the points we've really covered. Um, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I, think, I don't think there was any ugly this week. I think. Um, well, I, I was I disappointed think... the Crouch wasn't playing, but he would have been my vote. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I would. I would... <laughs> I think Fuller's tackle was vicious, yeah. and nasty, and you know the, the you know he looked. He, I think Drogba put his arm around him. I think as he was walking off, he was probably saying something like, "You know, what are you a nutter or something?" You know, it's, uh, mm. he didn't put up any. I couldn't have put any argument, but that was definitely very ugly. And uh, um, I, I think on the on the good side of it, um, I, I I think it's a worthy mention. But I thought Gary Cahill had a fantastic game yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he may not have had that awful lot to do. That that run and the shot he made in the first half was, you know, it was exciting. And I think he looks every bit to me the perfect foil for JT or Louise in that sense. Mm. I'm very impressed with him. the way he's holding himself and the way he's, you know, integrating into the club and, he, you know, the way he looks within that team. So I'm very, very impressed with him. Yeah. Um, no. gonna, if we move on, I just want to mention one thing, JD, if that's okay. Go ahead, go ahead. Because um, we don't really have an AOB. Just wanted to mention, I, I got up this morning. My, my game of golf was sort of postponed for a couple of hours, so I, had, you know, I found myself sort of like at a loose end until going out. So I thought I'd read the Chelsea magazine that dropped in the post this week. Ah, oh, yes. And there is, and now these things are generally printed about a month in advance, okay, or at least a couple of weeks in advance. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I know that because my brother-in-law used to be, a, 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 his role was actually servicing the big Heidelberg printers that these things are produced on. Mm. Um, and he used to get me the odd copy before I had a season ticket. And um, in that magazine, go through it, there is not a single mention of AVB or a single really? photograph of him. Nowhere. Interesting. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist by heart, but you have to wonder... That 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 would raise a question, wouldn't it? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Airbrushed Kremlin-esque style <coughs> from history. There's only one mention of him. I think only John Terry mentioned him in the program. I don't buy a program for myself no. because I, I the boy was with me. I buy a program and um, I had a quick read through it. Yes, 
Yes. You don't keep it for yourself, then? No, no. no. I've, I've, <laughs> there is a cellar full of programs that I collected over the years, which, you know, uh, they'll probably just sort of make a big heap of them and put me on top, Viking <laughs> style. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, because I've got visions of Paranite 451 running through the well, I, I, never, I never read them. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, and in there, only there's a, a thank you, I think, from JT in his notes and the rest of it. Yeah, you wouldn't know the bloke had ever been at Chelsea. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah. quite shocking. But I think that's been a, a, that's been the tendency in the last few. I think they've, they've become quite good at it, you know, the old airbrushing. I, th- I think it's just the fact that it's, you know, this, this would have been... Certainly would have been off the presses before AVB was sacked. Yeah. Certainly would have been off the presses by then. Because we have given to understand it was the final decision was after the, yes. the West Brom was, was the final straw. That's what convinced. Uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. But, um, you know, I'll, I'll put that on my list once I've sorted out the grassy knoll. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that, that round stoke of reasonably well... Um, Kind of moving moving on from that, but um, having a quick look back at the Birmingham game, which was obviously um, Roberto Di, Di Matteo's first game in charge. Again, another win, a not a terribly convincing performance, um, albeit that it, it's it's the cup, and you know you can use any number of cliches you want about the form book goes out of the window, which is probably quite a good thing as far as we were concerned, I would imagine. But um, but again, you know as. I think Mark pointed out, or Mark and Donald pointed out, just before we started um, started recording, was that it was a very different lineup, um, and whether it was kind of a a nod towards the old guard, as they are now termed by the media and, uh, and everyone else, um, that you, you're not going to feature in every game, or whether he was just being canny and resting them before um, before the visit of Stoke is um, is another matter. Um, just to, to throw it open, um, whoever wants to pitch in first about the Birmingham game, please do. Did you go, Mark? You go no, I didn't. Going, you did. No, I had um, busy work week. Yeah, I, I only saw it on the telly. Yeah, no, I watched it on telly. I mean, yeah. it was a very bumpy pitch. It was. Um, <laughs> so I think it was difficult to control. I, 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 you did make a point about whether um, whether the extra ribbing. Added, yes, I didn't. Yeah. I, didn't I didn't want to repeat that. I mean, the, the ball sort of kept rolling on and rolling off. Um, <laughs> it did make me think of. <laughs> it, it had. It, it was a 1970s pitch. That's what I thought. Yes, it was a lovely yeah, throwback to this kind of nostalgia and um, you know divots and holes and bare patches mm-hmm. and um, football as I remember it very fondly. Yeah, it was kind of the, the, what was the, the it was the baseball ground that was always either half underwater or, or yeah. just like a plough field, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. And of course, yes, our very true. memorable 1970 Cup final, which was you know <laughs> two days after the Horse of the Year show. You know, <laughs> can you just imagine what that would do today if they did that? You know, the, the showpiece cup final. You know, the oldest cup competition in the world. You know, played in a horse's field. Yeah. Um, and they wouldn't. They wouldn't know whether Luis Suarez was for one event or the other. Absolutely. I think. I think it took half an hour for the game to settle down because of that pitch. But yeah, I do. My, my my sort of impression was that. Compared to the, considering we were away and, and Birmingham were at home, and also given that they still had a team that, that was missing some key players, a fairly depleted team, but they'd come to the bridge with a fairly depleted team. And um, I thought defensively we dealt with them better. There seemed to be less sort of alarms and, and, and worries. Um, it took a long time to, to get going in, in an attacking sense, but. We, we looked relatively safe in terms of, you know, we weren't giving them too many outstanding chances, whereas, you know, their, their wide runners had seemed to give us a lot of trouble at, at, at Stamford Bridge. So it did convince me that at least we'd set up to be a bit tighter defensively. Obviously, mm. we were away from home as well, but, you know, the concentration was on, you know, not giving anything away. And then gradually we seemed to sort of, move five yards up the pitch and start to press in on them. And, and I just thought that we, yeah, we, we, we chased the ball down a bit better than we, we've done. We were doing under AVB and yeah. there was a bit more cohesion. It, you know, it wasn't a great performance at all, but, you know, it was those sort of basics that they, they seemed to, to get right in terms of it was just important to get a win. And, and you know, in the end... 
Birmingham sort of ran out of steam and, and it was relatively comfortable in the end. Mm. But, you know, it was um, <clears throat> it was an improvement over West Brom. But, you know, that's not saying... I like the way I... I mean, they, 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 they did get a, a little bit of... Um, uh, they, they got their tails up when Matter missed the penalty as well, I think. Yes. Uh, it, like, you, had that gone in, that would have been a game over. I think we might have well gone on and got a couple more. I think Birmingham would just have been the wind knocked out of them. And I, I think that they, they, they struck me as a team that have got other things on their mind, which is obviously yeah, in the, the playoffs yes. or whatever. Um, but they're a well-organised outfit. And I think Chris mm. Hewton, you know, was terribly treated by... Um, by Newcastle and, and, and you know had that been any other team other than Chelsea I think I would have been rooting for them on the basis that I quite you know I, I quite like to see those those managers that have been you know sort of summarily dismissed by you know well, you know as we have a, a sort of <laughs> Club, uh, clubs with slightly bigger pretensions than they maybe should yes have. yeah um, and I like to see them do well but I think you know it was an interesting selection from Di Matteo, and it, it, there was an interesting quote. I think he said, "Where uh, I think it was might have been post the Birmingham game, where he said, you know, it's all about players being a little bit less selfish and uh, and and you know having to accept certain things until the end of the season, and we're, we're sort of we're all in it together, kind of thing." He's um, made some. He's made a couple of quite sort of almost pointed comments this week. I mean, there was that. He's also, I think, in his press conference on Friday before before the game, I think he said that, um, you know, he, he wasn't expecting to have many friends here and yes. and so forth. I think he's, he's been quite pointed in yeah. maybe not being Boas in his criticisms, but, um, you know, there's certainly issues there that he seems to be making reference to, shall we say. Yeah, and I, I think you know from what I've seen of him, um, if you if you believe some of the hacks that are you know on Twitter or whatever that the, the, you know the relationship with some of the players is not good, um, <clears> and he's certainly a well publicised fallout with John Terry certainly you know a few years back I presume when they were in the same squad. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I liked his I liked his you know um, his, his attitude towards the on the Friday press conference. I think. You know, they kept asking him, you know, who uh, do the players need to take some blame? And he just say, kept saying it's a collective responsibility. And in the end, he, he can stop laughing. He said, you can ask me this question in as many different ways as you like. But the answer is... It's you will be able to say responsibility. Yeah. And I thought he handled that quite nicely. I mean, it, there, there is this sort of undercurrent of rumour coming out that he's a very arrogant man and and this sort of thing. And, and there's a part of me that says, show me a football manager that isn't, really. Um, you know, yeah, you're going to need to have a certain degree of ego about you, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, it's part of the armoury of having a, a sort of skin thick enough to deal with massive egos in the dressing room, um, people twisting your words in the press, um, trigger-happy owners, etc. I think you've probably got to have that little bit of arrogance and bravado about you. Um, his interesting choice for me was because uh, he played Ryan Bertrand at left-back mm. against Birmingham, which was... Um, you yeah, know, whether that was to you know, Bertrand, who never even featured on the bench yesterday, but I think it was was that to to please the clamour for Bertrand's appearances, you know, from the sort of you know the fan base or whatever. I don't know, but he put in a good shift, Ryan Bertrand, in, in as a promising, yeah. and he, he, he'll have learned. Yeah, from he that, well. I think he'll have gained valuable experience from. And that sort of thing. Oh, thank you. My wife just bought me a cup of coffee, which is very nice. Isn't it? <laughs> well, looking at the way you know, looking at the way Cole has struggled in in the last season and a half, you know, and would appear from what we read, uh, you know, he's got sort of chronic, at least one chronic ankle problem, which being chronic, I assume, means it's not not going to go away. They need to manage Cole's game time, and you know, he may want to play every game, but. You know, they need to have someone like Bertrand who 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 can step in and play. You know, ten yeah. or fifteen games a year, and and doesn't have to be as outstanding as Cole, but just has to to be you know decent and competent. And they're never going to find out unless they give them a chance. You know, this is I mean, we say this about about lots of players all the time at Chelsea, but somewhere along the line, these guys have to get a chance. You know, yeah. I think that's maybe what he said. I think before they go to Hamburg, you know, maybe he has said, you know, you'll all get, you'll all get your shot. You're all in the squad, and you know, some will get it in the FA Cup, and some will get it elsewhere. You know, um, obviously, it was going to raise a few eyebrows. Whatever he did against Birmingham, but um, mm. you know, two games, two wins, no goals conceded. Hey, you know. Um, that's, that's probably the best run we've had this season, and we're in, we're still in the cup, you know. And whatever people say about the FA Cup, 
I think you know Chelsea have shown over the last few years that it's a tournament you know worth winning and we like to win it and it's, it's always a great day out and you know yeah, absolutely well I think um, I mean and this this sort of leads us on to our um, our next point um, which we shall title squeaky bum time in the words of um, a famous premiership manager um, I think you know having looked at where we're at, obviously, you know, things aren't particularly fantastic, but um, we have Wednesday night ahead of us, which, whilst it is a difficult task, it's not, in, it's not insurmountable, and there is a possibility we could find ourselves um, in, the, in the next stage of the Champions League. Um, we have a championship side not in the greatest form between us and an appearance at Wembley and possibly, you know, a final to follow that. A look at... Um, where the Premiership is um, is at now is is quite intriguing. And obviously, we're recording this on um, on a Sunday evening, on the Sunday evening of, um, of, the, of the Premiership weekend. He said, glossing over his inability to find words. Manchester <laughs> um, <laughs> City lost one at Swansea. Um, United had a, a very perfunctory 2 0 win over West Brom, which which puts them at the top of the table for the first time in a while. Um, Spurs, I think, are now on their third defeat on the bounce and 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 dropping like stone, frankly. Um, between ourselves and Arsenal, um, Arsenal have a game in hand, which I think they play Newcastle tomorrow night. They're on 49 points. Spurs are on 43. We're on 49 points. 53, you mean, John? Sorry. Uh, 53, sorry, yeah. Now, otherwise, we'll be confusing the. Uh listenership (laughs) (laughs) hello to both of you yes (laughs) I happen to know he's not good at mathematics excellent in which case we're absolutely fine no one noticed Um, so all things considered we we could be in a far worse position than we are Um, what um, what do we think Um, Mark you were you are possibly the soothsayer amongst us because you said all along that we can we can take third. Um, a few weeks ago, that was that was possibly a bit of an outlandish claim, but now it doesn't actually look so tough. What um, are, you, are you sticking with that? And um, what are your, what are your thoughts on um, those around us and um, where we could end up? Well, just to apply a bit of balance to that, as a soothsayer, I did th- did forecast that AVB would be with us till the end of the season, so <laughs> I, I haven't got a hundred percent track record. Part of what I say is based on um, foolish optimism, um, but it's not unlike us to turn things around. And there are sort of parallels when Gus Hiddink took over, yeah, and we were floundering, and we ended up winning an FA Cup. And you know, there are only four trophies that any team can win in any one season, mm. and. The FA Cup is the third ranking one. So, you know, there's, there's ni- 92 clubs playing for trophies. Only um, one or two clubs tend to pick up all the trophies between them. And if we, you know, if we can win the FA Cup, you know, there's 90 clubs that would be quite jealous of our achievement. So, you know, that's still a possibility. Mm. And I think the way t- uh, Tottenham are going, they could easily slip out of the top four. Arsenal, I'm sort of dubious about whether they can sustain it until the end of the season and, and we don't know what impact it's going to have going out of the Champions League when they got so close to almost going through so that they could wobble a little bit um, it wouldn't surprise me if we were third Yeah, I'm also very interested between the tussle between Man United and Man City and it's a very very difficult choice as a um, neutral from not being from Manchester as to who I'd prefer to win but actually on balance I think I'd rather go for United in that, you know, I don't like these clubs that try to buy success. I have a right chuckle at that. Uh, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point in the sense that, um, for me, I, I had this conversation with today, um, where City are, and the, I mean, the, the squad that they have at their disposal is truly phenomenal. And, and, you know, frankly, I think if you put someone like Mourinho in charge, I you know, it's it's all hindsight and hearsay and, and guesswork, but you would think that they would probably be out of sight by now. Um, and they are definitely starting to wobble. And this is, you know, we should remember a fairly average United side. It's by no means one of the best that they've um, they've had over the last, you know, 15, 20 years of their dominance. Um, 
my my biggest concern um, is that um, if, if Mancini doesn't actually win the Premiership, because you would assume that um, Sheikh, whatever his name is, will boot him out and will go looking for um, the obvious candidate who is your hired gun when you want a trophy and you want one quick. Step forward, the chap in Madrid, um, which would worry me a lot, actually, for, for someone like Mourinho to get hold of a squad like Manchester City's with the, the resources they've got. I think they'll make the right decision whether they win it or not. I mean, had Avram Grant won the Champions League, do you believe he would have been kept on as our manager the following season? No, no not no, a bit of it. No, no way would he have been kept So is Mancini in the same boat? Mm, yeah, good question. Good question. Uh, but Mancini, Mancini has won Serie A with, with Inter and, and so on. You know, I, uh, yeah, but Avram won the Israeli Premier League with... Um, <laughs> well, I think we've, we've basically lost our Italian market there now, um, with Mark comparing <laughs> one of the great European leagues to the uh, Israeli First Division. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think um, I Mancini. It, it's tough. We we got it with Mourinho, but it, it's tough. You know, you look at City. City, like ourselves, you know, playing in blue, in the always in the bridesmaid sort of thing. It, it's the psychology of getting over the line the first time, and and that that's a very difficult thing to do. I think, yes, they had the squad to do it, but it's still getting those players to believe. Uh, you know, that they don't look around Main Road. They don't. Oh, sorry, uh, they, they they wouldn't. If they were sitting in Main Road, be looking around and seeing a trophy cabinet full of of uh, uh, title wins and, and endless cups. And obviously the the one at the Etihad, they probably haven't bothered building it yet. So, you know, there is that thing in the DNA of the club. They've got to get over the line the first time. And yeah. it, it, may, it may prove psychologically difficult. And I'm not sure that that... You know that Mancini should, would necessarily carry the can for that this time round. I think um, I think they they should stick with him uh, another another season yeah. and, and see where it goes. I mean, he's you know he built a quite a nice playing style there. They've they've yeah. been pretty entertaining. But they have their flaws. I think it's it's sort of almost knee jerk that because he's Italian, people will you know default to their well. He's always going to He'll go defensive, and, yeah, etc. Yeah. I, I think he's made a, a, a sort of more fundamental mistake uh, than, than that. Anyway, I think um, I, I, I'm quite impressed with the guy. I think he's done a good job. This season. You know, they they played some fantastic football this season. But much like um, uh, Keggy Keegel and his much lauded Newcastle side, they had a 12 point lead. Mm. That they lost the minute they bought. And I can't remember the guy's name. They bought a player in in Spreer, wasn't it? Yeah, Spreer. Spreer. Yeah. And it and it just disrupted everything around the squad. Um, for whatever reason, you know, it, that, that was the the kind of catalyst to a meltdown that that's been rarely seen since. And I think they've just done that by bringing Tevez back. I just cannot okay. see how that's going to work. I think that's one rotten apple in that barrel. And he, he I think, is you know the the fans. I don't think the fans really want him, and I think the other players. How can they not resent what he's done? I, I just can't see it. I, you know, mm. um, Balotelli can say all he likes about them. You know, and the fans shouldn't boo Tevez. But if he was a Chelsea player and a Chelsea player had done it, I bloody would. I mm. would. I, I don't. It's I, instant, I, I, yeah, yeah I, I just think it, you know you have to look at players who've done far less than what Tevez has done to Manchester City. You know, you have to look at the Andy Townsends of this world and see the reception they get from Chelsea, and even Gallas. Um, Nowhere near as, as treacherous as what he's done, and I just think uh, that that could be their downfall, and perhaps that's you know that, that, that's what's happening there. And I think missing people like Company, you know, I, I think a guy like Company sort of is almost Terry esque in the way he carries that team at times, and um, and Toure, you know, up the middle. So when they when either of those two are either injured or not there, or perhaps off form, they they seem to struggle as a team, and I think that's. You know that's purely down to to that sort of he, he's trying to. This is the first year he's building that team together, and they're still finding out about themselves. And you know it it, it could be very tough if they lose it in a very close battle. It, will that g them up for the following year or finish them off for this one? You know, uh, for, for good. You know, as a as a, a squad, it's it's 
I think we, we all know that you know Mourinho. We were often you know, finger pointed at us that we bought the league, and I think you you can't do that. I mean, Real Madrid shame that for years doing that sort of Galactico kind of um, policy, you know, it, it produced pretty little for them for a number of years. Man City may well be finding that out. I think we had a specific, particular, very special one, as he said himself, that that kind of discarded that all of that, you know, <coughs> fortress mentality and everything. Um, and and took us over that line, and I, I still firmly, I'll always say this to people: you know, Mourinho didn't change the attitude of the team; he changed the attitude of the club. Yeah, top to I, bottom. Everywhere. I think I think my sympathies are just with Man City because of having suffered over the years. Yeah. You know, I just think you know they they've been through what we've been through, and probably quite a lot worse in recent years. And uh, you know, relegations yeah. and so on, and it, just that sort of sense that. And had to you know, everyone should have their day in the sun. You know, I know in ten years' time, when perhaps that money is is killed the English league, <laughs> they win it every year or something. I'll think differently. But yeah. for now, you know, it's, yeah, it's a guy lives over the back to me. He's from, from Manchester. He's a City fan. You know, and I I just think great for him. You know, yeah. why can't someone else win it for I, once? I, you know, I, that's my feeling. I, I sort of, you know, I. I Personally, I do agree with that. I think you know that they, 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 there are parallels of us, not only in the terms of getting the money, but the, the fact that they've lived in the shadow of a very close neighbour for years and years and years, much the same way we did with Arsenal. Yeah. You know, and um, when that you know, Man United uh, Arsenal duopoly, if you had the the kind of in the in the anti universe, you would have had Manchester City and perhaps Chelsea as the, mm. the you know the, the Blues against those two red teams, or however you want to look at it. So. And it's quite interesting. It's also interesting to see how the other rivals... I mean, Newcastle's still got a shout in there, I think. Um, yes, I wouldn't write that. They, they, they may not make it themselves, but they no. could have a shout in who does. I think we know. can write Liverpool off. I, I mean, King Kenny's taken them. I've, I've just seen one of the funniest tweets I think I've ever seen, um, <laughs> which is Kenny Dalglish has promised to take Liverpool back to the glory days. Just as soon as he can get the DeLorean up to eighty-eight mile an hour, was <laughs> <laughs> highly amusing. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah. Well, they've I mean, they've they've sort of hit that post Carling Cup dead cat bounce kind of thing, haven't they? It's um, it, was that was that the way the springboard to greater things? Mm. <laughs> Allegedly. I'm looking forward to the next Richard Williams article about you know, <laughs> this fine young squad that. Uh, <laughs> Gave such a hiding to uh, a championship team. Yeah, penalties. Yeah, <laughs> enough said. Um, I think um, that 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 winds up, up our ramble on um, on squeaky bum time, which I've no doubt we will revisit as um, as as we go week by week and um, and we see where we end up. Um, one thing which we um, we spoke about before we started recording and decided we wanted to touch upon because after the AVB special last week, um, it kind of got pushed into, um, into the sidings. Um, Chelsea released their, their statement, I think it was a week ago on Friday, about the future of Stamford Bridge, and that's exactly what this is titled on the website. Um, the club made a presentation to the directors of Chelsea Pitch Owners highlighting the work that the club had done since... I think about 2003, 2004, about the potential to increase the capacity of Stamford Bridge. Um, I'm not going to sit and and pour through every single detail because it's a very long document with lots of maps and, you know, graphs and God knows what and pie charts about expenditure and so forth. But it seemed to be a fairly comprehensive statement that, you know... A 60,000-seat stadium at Stamford Bridge is virtually impossible. Um, Hammersmith and Fulham Council have responded to this in a fairly political way in the sense that it doesn't really say yes or no. It just says, you know, we'd obviously like Chelsea to stay here. We don't think their figures are right. This is the thing that that sort of struck me and um, I think needs to be picked over, is we don't think their figures are right yet, we disagree with them. Well, there's no real sort of evidence for this. Um, I think we, obviously on the blog we've been through. You know, do we move? Do we not? What are the ramifications of it? It's it's such a huge can of worms that you know opening it leaves you with um, an awful lot to talk about. But you know what we'll, we'll try and do is just sort of distill it down and, and say you know. 
I think having opened the can, John, we'll just try and get it between two slices of bread and eat it as a sandwich. Yes. We'll have a worm sandwich, (laughs) having opened the can of worms. Donald, bread Mm. bread is there, the can of worms is there, (laughs) spread away, and... um, It reminds me of the... the, (laughs) The uh, sandwich shop that I go to in Wapping High Street on a regular basis where you go in every day and you ask for your sandwich. And having gone there regularly now, I always say, um, and brown, on brown with butter, knowing that within 30 seconds, once the, uh, and it's all ladies behind the counter, has assembled the ingredients and is about to start making it, she will stand up, oh, sorry, look up and say, do you want butter? <laughs> And we now, when we go in, we always make sure that we finish the sentence with and butter, knowing <laughs> that she will come back before she even makes the same mistake. Do you want butter? So I'm assuming you all want butter on your worm sandwich. Yes. Um, away. I, I think the, the, the problem with that, that sort of, you know, fair play to Chelsea, they, they've come out and, you know, this is what people like myself were, were a bit annoyed about when the CPO thing all blew up was the, the lack of information and the lack of any understanding of what Chelsea were trying to do. Yeah. Um, it's difficult, obviously, to assess it unless you are someone who understands, you know, perhaps uh, the, the health and safety regulations, some basic architectural principles and things like that. So you, you more or less have to take it on trust. What I would say is that... <clears throat> working as I do in a sort of construction-related industry, if, you, if you're talking about consultants and engineers and people like that, if you give them a brief, it very much depends on what the brief you gave them was. Uh, and this is not directed, this is not a sort of conspiracy theory at Chelsea. It's, you know, they don't really tell you what question they asked in order to get the information they got back. Mm. But unless someone of a professional background could come up and take apart that document, you sort of have to, you know, pretty much take it on trust in, in that, to some extent, you know, Hammersmith and Fulham are being a bit disingenuous because they, they to some extent, impose the crowd flows and so on that, that Chelsea are allowed to put out onto the various roads around the ground and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it is a very complex... I think probably intuitively we all realise that you couldn't get a 60,000-seater in. You, you do think about the Bates Motel at the back and, you know, mm. slightly more room there, you know, how much that costs to take down and redo. You couldn't get away without doing some sort of compulsory purchase on some of the properties around there. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think the argument with Stamford Bridge is probably not so much about um, how much bigger can you make it as to whether... Do we, if we go somewhere bigger, will we fill it? How much will we pay for it? Mm. And I suppose wrapped up in all this is the the unsaid thing, which is that a new stadium is really more about the the sort of corporate provision. You know, you have a lot more space and a lot more seating that you can charge the earth for because I think they must sensibly know that they can't screw much more out of the, the average fan in terms of, of ticket pricing. Yeah. And I, think that's I don't care what anyone says. Realistically, there is, say, a core... You're talking a core 20,000 at Chelsea. You know, I've been there when it's been down to 13,000 when Glenn Hoddle was there. The, the, the core, regular core support, it, it, I don't think, is, is much more than twenty to 25,000. Yeah. So if you're talking a 60,000-seater stadium, you know, you, you've got to be very, very sure of what, yeah. what you're doing to sort of... I know you're not going to fill it completely every week, but, mm. you know, so, yeah, I, I think it's a good thing that they've come out and at least put that information out because then it gives anyone who wants to object a chance to look at it and say, right, well, we don't necessarily agree with this or how did you come by this? So, mm. you know, I welcome that. I haven't... I've, I've started to look at it, but... Haven't had a chance to really go through the details. It's, um, I mean, it's 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 a pretty interesting document. If you if you go through it, one of the, the key things, um, which as far as I'm aware has always been an issue, is is how quickly you can actually shift everyone out in, in the event of an emergency. And I think the the site has to be evacuated within eight minutes, which we can do at the moment. But the the moment you start thinking about increasing it, that's where things become slightly trickier. Um, 
But they normally achieve that by bringing on Salam and Kalu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mark, that's hard. Oh, Salomon. I hope he doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> I do. It would be interesting to know if we have any players listening. I, I suspect they may have switched off by now, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's... It's, it's an interesting document that's, that's, that's well worth looking at. <coughs> the, the, question, see, the, the point that you mentioned, Donna, was you know, how we're actually going to fill this thing. Um, and I, I always view it, you know, one of the arguments I've had with, with numerous people about this, this, this whole business of a new ground or an extended ground is, oh, we'll never bloody fill it with the football we're playing at the moment. It's all shine, rah, rah, rah. It's... That's a fair point, but it's, this, this is sort of, you know, the, the short term. This is about the next sort of 10, 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years kind of thing and when where we're going to be when we're all, you know, the podding shed has been mulched into compost with us underneath it. Um, and, 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 you know, where the club is going to be in, in 50 years' time. Um, and you would assume if football carries on the way it is, and this is where the crystal ball, which Mark will obviously be careful not to sit upon... Um, is um, is relevant because you know no one knows what's going to happen to football. The club is working on the basis, and you assume that they have done their sums um, and in terms of their their membership numbers and the people that want to come to Stamford Bridge and the people that have to have come to Stamford Bridge. Um, they decide that they need a sixty thousand seat stadium. You know, you would hope that they haven't just said we need a sixty thousand seat stadium and let's hope we can fill it. You would assume that there's been some fairly serious number crunching done on that basis. Um, Mark, I, I think you've, um, in, in the past you've said, you know, you'd obviously rather stay at Stanford Bridge like the rest of us. What's your um, what's your take on the current situation? Um, to be honest, I haven't really followed the current situation too closely, but I mean, in terms of staying at Stanford Bridge, I'm not absolutely wedded to it. Um, I mean, if, if, you know, I started going to Chelsea when they had the old North Stand and well, the whole stadium was completely different. So the only thing that remains, really, of the original Stamford Bridge that I grew up in is the shed wall. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And nothing else remains. So, you know, what is the club? Is it a postcode? Is it the shed wall? Or is it something else? So, you know, it'll probably still be Chelsea, whether it's in Ellscourt or Battersea. So I'm pretty open-minded towards it. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's a very good point, and, and Tony and I have, um, have, have long nattered about this, and, and the analogy is, is triggers boom. It's, it's kind of, you know, the, the club itself, it's, it's the fans, yes, it's the players that pitch up um, and play for us, you know, who change from time to time. And in terms of the ground, even what it is now, in comparison to what it was 15 years ago, it's changed an awful lot. And... Um, you know, if it changes again, does it? Is it still Stamford Bridge? Well, yes, it is. But you know, sticking another eight thousand on the Matthew Harding upper, if it works, it works, fantastic. But you know, you've also got to bear in mind, you know, how how comfortable we all are in our in our dotage, in you know, being crammed in, you know, getting into the ground is is enough of a drama of it as it is at the moment. You know, uh-huh. you have to turn up sort of quarter of an hour before kickoff these days, and to to realise how how difficult it is to actually get everyone in at, on time. And, you know, we stood, you know, Tony and I stood in a bloody great queue yesterday, yeah. 10 minutes before kickoff. Um, you know, if you start adding another 8,000 people or whatever it happens to be, which is nowhere near what the club wants, it's it's looking like chaos. And that, this is that, that, that my feeling, right? So I'm, you know, I take the same sort of view as Mark. I'm not absolutely, you know, I think I, we've, like you said, we've used the, the, the analogy of Triggers Broom, you know, we've had so many new stands and the hotels, it's, it's not the same ground I was at um, when I went for my first visit, which was probably about 1972, 73 or whatever. Um, it is better. I, I think it's a great land. I'm, you know, as I said to you yesterday, I, I love all seat Stadia because um, being a, a sort of a, a chap of restricted height, it means I get to see all the game rather than having to constantly leap up and down or, you know, like the donkey in Shrek sitting there going, pick me, pick me. Um, so, I, I, you know, I'll avoid the obvious who said that gag because obviously it doesn't really work on a podcast. <laughs> so I am laughing at it. I, I thought the statement that Chelsea made was very cogent and, and very well put together. Um, yeah, I, agree. I think it has been put out there to inflame slightly. 
Hammersmith and Fulham Council because I think Hammersmith and Fulham Council stand to lose an absolute fortune if Chelsea move out. Now, you know, some of that will be negated by, uh, 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 you know, the fact that there'll be some lush new development that goes in there or whatever. And when you look at the arguments they've got around surrounding conservation areas, um, you know, the right to light, which, you know, I've had a, a debate with, with a friend of mine who's in the building industry, he says there is no right to light. And I said, I think you'll find actually there is. Yeah, it is. You just can't go and build what you like and block somebody out. That's, I believe it's enshrined in law, actually. You but, know, so mm. I think they're, they're interesting things. I think they're looking at some of the figures. That's what, what really caught my eye was the fact that in, in terms of turnover, we earn £26 million less than Arsenal in match day revenue. And yeah. Forty-one million pound less than Manchester United. Now, uh, okay, so let's take ticket prices. I'll play authors' advocate and say they've prorated the difference in ticket prices or whatever into that. But that's not that's not a small amount of money. That's nothing to be sniffed at. Um, and in terms of financial fair play, if you've just made a ten million pound loss, twenty-six million pound extra a year may well be the thing that takes you into a profit situation or meets those requirements. I also look at it from the point of view that, you know, whatever we say, uh, what the club is, okay, we say it's the players, it's the fans that pitch up, it's partly the ground, um, it's the the history, um, uh, and that sort of thing. And if Ron Gourlay is listening, it's the brand. Um, I would would also say that any business, and, and let's face it, fundamentally, underneath all of this, every football club is a business. Okay, it is it is there to win things, but to make money, all yeah, of those things. Okay? And I, I, you know, sometimes you just have to accept that there's a kind of unpalatable truth that the the, the current facilities you're in, and I, I, you know, I'll, I'll apply it to where I work. I work for Vodafone, um, and for many many years, Vodafone's based in Newbury in the UK, and the head office was an, a small, tiny little office next to an Indian restaurant in the town centre. And Vodafone yeah. occupied 53 separate buildings at one point in Newbury. So, you know, it was a logistical nightmare in mm. terms of, of car parking and, and how the things were networked together. They built Unless you wanted to get a curry, of course, and it yeah. was quite convenient. But it was often, you know, it was often joked about by our chief exec, you know, that, that you know, the, the other companies would take these, you know, visiting execs from other corporations or government or whatever to their plush headquarters, and 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 they would have to take them, you know, down an alley by the side of an Indian restaurant to this little back office. And they built this fabulous new HQ where I work now. It's fantastic. There was lots of, you know, oh, do we want it in Newbury and all that. The place is absolutely brilliant. It's a great working environment and all that sort of. I'm not just saying that in case anybody's listening from work. I think <laughs> if we were to move to Battersea or Ells Court, we we've as a club. Okay, if we aspire to be in there with the Real Madrid uh, and Barcelona and Milan and, and let's face it, Manchester United, we need a ground that makes it iconic. And I just think the idea that we could move not too far away from where we are to Earl's Court or to Batsy Power Station with an immense amount of land, mm. okay, and if it's 450 million I've heard quoted for that, which makes it about a million pounds an acre. I think Roman will be looking at that and thinking that could be very, very, very good business. And you could build a stadium. If you look at the Cone Pedersen um, designs that they've done for the Bishopsgate Tower and the Shanghai Finance Centre, they're very brave, very radical. And I think you've got a chance to architecturally do something which is, if it is Battersea Power Station, with those four towers, that would be stand, absolutely stand out. It would be something, you know, it would rival Wembley and just leave the Emirates and, and, and Tottenham's new ground in, in the shade. And I think that that's something to aspire to. I, I, I'm not ashamed of that. That doesn't mean I'm dis, you know, sort of disregarding our heritage at Stamford Bridge. Um, it just means that, like any, you know, anybody, I look at it and think, well, if you're a business you want to grow, you may well have to do that and accept that slightly unpalatable yeah. truth. Over, over, I, I, over. The one thing that I, I see missing in all these figures, and it's it's... Not, not probably a thing to debate on here at the moment, is that, you know, it seems to be accepted in this country that the any sort of standing in a stadium is no longer the future. But, you know, there are plenty of other places around the world where they, they do, they understand how to build safe standing environments. And I, I just wonder whether, you know, obviously in terms of what you can charge for standing um 
it, it doesn't help you probably financially, but in terms of bringing in a certain type of crowd, building a certain type of atmosphere and making it accessible to people who can no longer stump up 50 quid every week, uh, you know, I, I, I'm surprised that that never gets discussed but you know that's uh, I think it's, you know that's, that's obviously it's, statutory reasons for that at the moment but I, I think that there is a debate to be had on I that I think it makes sense actually I mean whenever I go to an away game mm. it's always all standing yeah the, the Chelsea end everybody mm. stands everyone stands up yeah and it, and it's it can't be as safe uh, standing in a seating area mm. as in as it is in a properly designed standing area so mm. they'd be much better off putting it in a standing area yeah I mean, you look at the Stoke, you know, look at that end yesterday. I'm sure, you know, Stoke could have bought a lot more people. Yeah. But I bet you the ticket price, you know, priced a lot of, you know, Stoke fans who, who probably travel quite regularly. I'm sure, yeah, not just for us, but probably going to Arsenal, you know, particularly with the bigger clubs, there probably comes a point where they just can't, you know. And times, times are hard for a lot of people now. And, and you know, if you have a particularly, I think Mark's right, the, the away end is ripe for having a proper standing option in it because, you know, particularly away fans always want to stand and, you know, you then make the, the, the pricing a lot more attractive yeah. to them. But obviously that, that's a, a different discussion away from Chelsea Stadium building, but it always amazes me that it's it's not being discussed more about, you know, how you can get more people into the ground. I always look at this, you know, and I appreciate that this is a sensitive subject for people who want and, and, and revere Stamford Bridge and, and, and see it as a sort of hallowed ground. But, for, you know, for me, I, you know, I'm fairly, I suppose, a bit of a futurist in that sense, in that, I, you know, I always like to believe that what you can do can be better than what you have now. Um and the example I always use whenever I'm debating anything like this is that um, there is a, a structure in the south of France called the, the, the Milau Viaduct, which is, and it's, I think it was Norman Foster that designed it, but it's absolutely yeah. stunning. And it's taken two or three hours off the journey through France because it avoids the, the, the lovely picturesque town of Milau. It wouldn't get built in this country. There would be, you know, there'd be a 50 year process of different inquiries or whatever but to look at it it's in a stunningly beautiful part of France and it actually it's an extraordinary sight and it's, it, it enhances it, it for me it's you know and, and so for, for anything like that I look at the, the, you know, I'm, I'm very keen on Battersea Power Station if Chelsea moved there built a fabulous stadium that incorporated the four you know uh, the four chimneys or whatever. The only thing that they could do to make it any better for me is put a flying pig above it, and then I'm happy. You know, I've got pig and football club there. But my only word of caution would be, Tony, that they may well use um, that firm to design something along the lines of what you'd like in order to convince everyone that that's the way to go. Yeah. Get, get the planning and then, you know, that beautiful phrase that anyone who works in anything vaguely technological comes by the value engineering then comes in and you're just going to end up with something that looks you know, the, the same as it looks in Bolton Stoke and everywhere you know yeah. they yeah. stadium design has got very ordinary look you know other than perhaps Beijing and, and one or two other places I think, but, I mean, you know, that's the thing is you know I, I spent an awful lot of time traveling back and forth to Munich over um, over the last few years and and Coming in from the airport into into Munich itself, or the, the bit of Munich I was working in, you, you go past the the Alliance Arena for you know, which is by Munich and um, the other Munich team whose name escapes me because I'm slightly hungover. Um, also, and, and it's it's an extraordinary sight, and you know, you you actually think if we could do something like that, I think it, it would it would almost swing the vote. You know, if we had to go through the wrench of moving out of Stamford Bridge, but you could say to people, okay, this is what you're going to get in, in replacement. Yeah. I think it would actually, it, it would be a big sway on the casting vote. Mm -hmm. I, I certainly think that with, the, with that CPO business, um, I think one of the, the, the big problems there was people didn't really know whether we were talking about going to Earl's Course or Battersea mm. or ending up somewhere around the M25. And I think... That was probably one of the, the errors in that, was it? Perhaps for, for whatever reasons they couldn't do it, but I, th I think they would have 
probably swung a lot more votes if people had a, a much clearer sense of, of what the options on the table really were. I mean, it, it, it's becoming a bit clearer now, but at the time I don't think it was. And uh, I think uh, there will always be a, a core of people who don't want to leave Stamford Bridge under any circumstances, and I, I certainly can sympathise with that. Mm. But I think if you're talking somewhere that's almost contiguous with, with the area, that we're in at the moment, then a lot of people will probably accept it. Sounds moving stadium though is a very complex project. Mm. Do we have anyone in mind to run such a project? Um, well, I mean, our only project manager has recently left. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you think he might come back just for a one-off gig? Well, he you know. might be suitable for that. <laughs> oh dear! I knew something was coming. I was, uh, my mind was well, the cogs were whirring around. There's a punchline coming along here somewhere. Yeah. Lovely, lovely that one. Yeah. No, indeed. Um, we had um, we had we had one more point to discuss, which um, I, I vote to actually defer to next week because we're, we're way over an hour, and I suspect that if anyone's still listening <laughs> on the recording. Um, they, they may well switch off. Um, I, I vote that we move the, the far-flung viewing point to, to next week, if we can, because yeah. um, I'd, I'd like to actually give it sort of you know due consideration and, and a bit of time to, to do it justice, um, which we which we probably won't be able to do. Um, on that note, I will say firstly, as um, as Mark echoed yesterday, great to meet you each and every one, and um, we hope we will be able to have more beer again and. Um, channel it into the next recording and um, in the meantime we'll say thanks for listening um, go to the website and uh, leave your comments thoughts abuse or otherwise um, at www.chelseafcblog.com and um, we'll see you next time in the meantime thanks gents and good night good night good night